Longest sprint of your life, it doesn't matter. You won the stage, my man. Yeah, the women's race, a few riders trying to get away into a breakaway, but nothing able to stick all day long. It came down to a fun sprint to the line. This is Chad. And I'm Brad. And you're listening to the Chad and Brad Cycling Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chad and Brad Cycling Podcast. I know for those of you that are out there, you're thinking to yourselves, where have they gone? Well, guess what? We are here in Reno, Nevada. I'm Chad Andrews. I am being joined by Brad Soner. Brad, welcome to Reno, Nevada. I bet they didn't see the Reno reunion coming. I bet when they thought, man, it's been a while since I've heard from Chad and Brad, they didn't think, oh, they'll probably reunite in Reno. But here we are. This is our, this is our first in-person show together. No, it's not. It's our second. Oh, that's right. We did. Yeah. That's Do you right. remember where it was? Critnats. That's right. Yeah. See? Who's thinking? Not me. Uh, you know, it's brought to you by the Silver Legacy Hotel, and of course, oh, no, my ice is melted. Basil Hayden. I'm, I'm tapping my mic on the glass. I don't know if you can hear it. Uh, yeah, well, we just saw it clip. Wait, let me see if I can mic pouring a Basil Hayden. Yeah, there we go. Yep, that went through. All right. All right, so what are we here for? We're here to, obviously, Brad and I have been hired to come out here and talk about uh, Cyclocross Nationals for 2018, and... That's what we're going to do. We're going to preview it. We're going to talk about the course. We're going to talk about some of the things that we saw today. Brad's obviously been here all week. And Brad, kind of go over you know, what Reno offers as far as uh, not only for the national championships, but for masters and juniors and that kind of thing. What well, I think, we saw today and this week. I think the biggest thing is that it's not snowing like it was in Hartford. So uh, there's a lot of happy people out there about that, me included. That was very cold. And I think our, our TV crew is going to be pretty happy about that, too, the, yeah, the, that those cold. poor camera guys that were out there. Um, but there are some differences between Hartford. Is that where we were last yeah, year? Hartford. Hartford. And then this year, uh, today I noticed it. When I pulled up on the uh, on the scene, there was some wind blowing. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been pretty steady here in Reno. The wind is, has been a pretty serious factor. It's weird. I, I can't remember uh, many cross races, or I guess I can't name one, where wind was so important. I mean, it's almost like crit tactics when we see these small groups forming. Like, there's there'll be these groups of three, four, five, and they don't want to do work on the front. Like, they don't want to sit on the front specifically because of the wind. And when it's blowing as, as heavy as it's been, the the past few days it, it absolutely matters so yeah surprisingly the wind has been a huge factor in uh, in in a cross race like this the other big thing is the altitude we're at 4500 feet here which is like right on the edge wow, of real that's of such a be, tough spot. being able to feel it yeah. uh but i think uh, there's a major advantage for riders coming from altitude we've seen a lot of colorado on the podium uh you know a lot of riders coming from the western states uh it, it seems on the front so at 4500 feet you, you can feel it. i guess you would probably know i'm gonna better, argue that point be, here better than a little me bit. but Not right now uh, later it, it certainly seems to me like the riders coming from altitude are having a better time than the riders that are coming from sea level. Yeah, running from the ice machine and back, I was a bit winded, but not <laughs> as if I was at, you know, Boulder, Colorado, or even right. higher than that. Uh, there, There is one thing, of course, you know me, the amateur meteorologist. The, the western states versus the eastern states, the east has been what we call in low-pressure trough. So it's always been cold, it's been wet. Here in the west, it's been dry, and I mean dry and windy and warm. That's exactly what we're going to see again this week. We're going to see dry, we're going to see windy, and we're going to see warm, which is counter to what we've had over the past couple of years. Talking about the juniors, talking about the masters, 
I think you nailed it when you said something about a crit tactics. We'll talk about the course here in a minute, but the crit tactics of the wind blowing out of the west so hard, downsloping into the riders, they were seeking refuge today, I noticed that. And that is something that I think that if the wind's still blowing come Sunday, that's going to add a whole other layer of complexity. Yeah, it's kind of like make the selection and then like figure out the tactics from there. That's kind of been the repetitive story that we've seen in a lot of these races where it comes down to a group of three, four, five riders, and then they just kind of sit in. Like, there's not a lot of attacking coming off the front. And talking about the elite races, like, absolutely, if if that wind is blowing the way that it has been the past few days, that's going to give a lot of riders that are on the edge of being podium contenders a big advantage because they're going to be playing games at the front. They're going to be looking around, trying to get the other riders to pull. So if you're like a fourth, fifth, sixth place rider, I think the wind is actually really good for you because it's going to cause some problems with the lead riders and it may cause them to sort of look at each other and slow things down at the front. Kind of interesting. There was one interesting difference between this year and last year, and I know we don't want to hone on last year, but the differences are stark. A, last year uh, it was warm to start, then a cold front came through, and then a snowstorm came through, and it made it super slippery. Here, the first couple days, from what I understand after flying in, it was actually slippery because they got a little bit of rain, and a little bit of rain on an extremely dry course made it kind of like uh, a slip and slide for Yeah, a I was going to say we got just the right amount of rain to make it really tough. Uh, yeah, it was pretty much dry for uh, the, the run-up to, to riders starting to arrive in Reno, and then it would only rain for like an hour or two, but it was just enough to get the top layer of dirt wet, just enough to make a little bit of mud, and so, yeah, it was really slippery. The off-camber here in Reno is pretty serious. There is a, a pretty pretty decent climb going up and then the Oof. downhill I think is the really hard part on on the uh, the elevation here in Reno um so uh, any little bit of rain is really going to affect the course because yeah like you said there's not a whole lot of moisture out there there is one section on the course that believe it or not goes through a wetland um on the on the Ish, far right edge there. of the course is that the dinosaur section um no no that, the other well, way that's a separate section <laughs> okay. on the course that we'll talk about uh uh, so there is some moisture on the course, but I don't think it's going to be super muddy. I think it's going to be pretty straightforward, dry, fast, hard packed. I don't see a whole lot of slogging going on in the mud here in Reno, unless the weather changes drastically before Sunday. And it's not. It's just going to get warmer and warmer and warmer. And the more the wind blows, the more it dries out the race course. Here's one thing that we do want to talk about. Obviously, the whole shot, like every other cyclocross national championship, is on concrete. And then they head. Well, it's kind of packed dirt. Kind of packed. It's not quite. It, it will be concrete by Sunday. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be hard packed. So, obviously, tire pressure and choice of tires are going to be important. But one word that we were talking today to Meredith Miller, of course, a multi-time uh, national champion, is she said that although it looks, the first part of the course looks rather benign, it's what we call heavy. It's a heavy course because it's it's a slight uphill section, what we call false flat in the, in, in the industry. The grass is just enough to grab the tires and slow the riders down. So it gives this appearance, Brad, that, you know, and I'm going to haul ass through this section, but that heavy, heavy, heavy uh, soil, um, even though it'll be hard packed, and the grass, I think, is going to really kind of throw some of these riders off. Yeah, the first half of the course is way faster than the second half. It, it, it kind of goes off into this field in the first half, and it's very fast. It's wide open. You can pass. Uh, there's plenty of space for plenty of riders early on, kind of as they're going through the pits. But then when they come back by, like, the stage, they sort of double back on the finish line. 
and that's where they get into the climbing section. They get in the off, the off camber section. The features are in the first half of the course. The, the the Belgian stairs you've probably heard about. It's these rideable stairs for some riders, sort of deep uh, but not real tall stairs. You can basically bunny hop your way up each stair. The barriers are there. There's also a ditch that the riders that have ditch to, is a witch. I don't know if you've seen the, the, the uh, social media video of Man. these. Um, man, I'll tell you, if I had a wheel company, I'd be out here selling uh, alloy wheels. To right these, there, to these waving guys them over the that jump because it just, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's basically a, a drainage ditch, if you will, and you can jump it if if you bring enough speed. I could, to or it. just somebody yeah, more talented. I mean, no, I think you could do it if you you know you carried enough speed in. Um, but the problem is, once you get the first rider that checks up, that gets nervous when they're coming, they grab a little bit of break, you lose the momentum, then everyone has to run it because you have to have a good bit of speed to be able to, to ride over. You basically have to fly over. It's not like you can ride down in it and then ride back out of it. You either jump no, it you're, or you're, you're not making it. You're in the crevasse. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like evil can evil <laughs> yeah, it's going over the Snake the River. Other. You're um, in it or you're not. But let me ask you a question. That's Is that a risk-reward type situation from a strategy or is it you've been out here all week? All the pros, uh, I, men I, and women. I are think it has a lot to do with position. I think your your, you know how how far up you are has a lot to do with it. Obviously, the first few riders that can pick their lines have been riding it, and then we get into more traffic. It seems like guys are uh, and uh, guys and girls are being a little more conservative. Um, maybe preemptively seeing that there might be a traffic jam there when it gets to the pros i think we'll see more riders riding it i think the first 20 riders can probably ride over that no problem it just takes one guy though yeah it takes guy. the first rider right the, to the, check up and just boggle the whole thing yeah so uh it'll be interesting that part of the course though is not going to be a game changer i think the race is won and lost on the second half of the course it's this big hill so they do this off camber then they have this big climb they're going to op- there's a pro only section that uh, that the amateurs haven't seen but um w- when they open that up that's where this race is won and lost it's on the big climb and then this really scary descent coming down which is pretty close to when they come back onto the start finish stretch so posit- like um we saw adam meyerson racing today in in one of the masters races Sitting in a group of three, playing games all day. No one wanted to attack. Uh, Adam didn't spend a whole lot of time on the front, but he knew when to get there. And it was the last the last like, lap. Yeah. Uh, even the last maybe 600 meters when you're coming down off the descent. Then it goes into what we talked about, the dinosaur section. You'll see Crazy. it on the live stream on Sunday. Oh, by the way, we should mention, live stream Sunday. Uh, you got Make it. sure you watch the USA Cycling YouTube channel. Everyone's going to be tweeting it out as well. You'll be able to find the link, no problem. Don't worry if you can't find it right now. I promise on Sunday you'll be able to find it. Uh, we're going to have, uh, starting at noon local time, we'll be streaming. And uh, we'll have the U23s and the Elites. So four great races on Sunday. We hope you'll watch. Anyway, the dinosaur section on the course. There are like four giant I guess they're made out of fiberglass dinosaurs. It's like a park for kids. They can go and climb all over it and play with it and stuff. And um, But it's just before they come on to the finishing the stretch. Turn. And it's right actually turn. really important because there's two sort of technical turns, kind of tight turns where – uh, you know, it's your last two chances to screw up, basically, or or if you're in second position, the last two chances for the rider in front of you to, to screw up. So, uh, yeah, the dinosaur part could be surprisingly important to the national champion in the, the elite races. If you're in the box and you're suffering a thousand deaths 40 minutes in, there have been stories that have been told, and I've been there, when you're <laughs> suffering like hell, you see like 
polka dot elephants yeah. and shit. Yeah. Could you imagine what you see when you come down to that? Because it, it is. Brad did talk about that. You go up this really steep section that a lot of the Mastery League guys were actually running. Then you take that right-hand turn off the off-camera section. Then you ha- head toward the dinosaur. At that point, you're probably seeing stars, and then you see these dinosaurs. It's probably this surreal experience for some of these guys. There's there's one that is, I'm pretty sure it's a brontosaurus, and you'll have to check That's me. That's the big I'm, guy. I'm not super up-to-date on my uh, dinosaur names. and I. Got, oh, wait, you, you calling me old here? No, no, no. I got roasted uh, on Twitter because I mixed up uh, Stegosaurus and, and Triceratops. It, uh, triceratops has got the big thing on his I nose. I know. So there's a Triceratops. This is also funny. There's a, a Triceratops statue, and they had to put a hay bale right in front of it because the Triceratops is right on the, the outside of a turn, the basically the apex of a turn if you followed it out. So if a rider went wide on the turn, they would get impaled by this Triceratops. Do we so, have a camera there? Uh, we will have a camera oh, on that's Sunday. Gonna yeah, be we'll epic. have a camera in the dinosaur <laughs> park. But, uh, yeah, it's funny. There's this Triceratops with just a big hay bale right in front of it but i i mistakenly <laughs> called it a stegosaurus on twitter so i apologize to dinosaurs everywhere for screwing it up yeah we, we forget that uh, jurassic park was probably before your time no, no I, I grew up with <laughs> land before time it was this oh, animated uh, i know animated movie with so. the sleaze stacks yeah um, and, but then the, the, i was gonna say the last dinosaur you see is the brontosaurus which is probably there are swings hanging off its neck and tail that's so a big you can, dude you can swing underneath it so it's probably 10 feet high and uh, maybe 25 feet long. It's pretty serious. And then, of course, you hit the right-hand turn, which at the end, if it's a group of three or four, um, probably the best line is going to be dictated by how the weather is because that wind is coming right to left, and it is howling. So you're probably going to want to stay on the inside barrier, and that's where Adam Meyerson, when he won today, the crafty uh, the veteran himself, uh, won the Masters race. Yeah, so we know it's going to be fast. We know it's going to be dry. Let's talk about who that favors, who uh, our, our picks are coming into the day. Well, go ahead. I went Stephen Hyde with the men and Katie Compton for the women. Uh, I think the women's race is going to be the anticipation of seeing someone beat Katie Compton for me is way more exciting than anything the men could do. To see someone finally knock off Katie Compton as the defending champion would be huge. I think Katie Heel can do it this year. I think she's on good form. She's ranked second in the world. Katie Compton, though, is still on really good form. So I'm not going to say that it's going to be easy for Kia to beat Compton, but I think this is the first time in a few years that we've had a legitimate contender to beat Katie Compton. So the women's race to me is, I think, the, the most anticipated race. But then you look at the men. I went with Stephen Hyde, but this is a great course for Tobin Ortenblad. I think there's a very— Oh, so now you're going to toot no, his no, horn. No, no, no. Now, this was another Twitter thing. I said that I believe that Stephen Hyde would run away with the win. Tobin Ortenblad disagreed, which he absolutely should because he is 100% right that this course favors him. He's had an excellent domestic season, and he can absolutely beat Stephen Hyde. He did it this year. He's— can absolutely do it again at nationals the question is the preparation leading up to it steven spent the christmas block in europe whereas uh, tobin stayed here in the u.s was training so steven was racing tobin was training we'll see which one pays off but i think they probably stay together to be honest there's a really good chance that this comes down to three or maybe even four riders in a group of four, and it comes down to a sprint on the uh, finishing stretch. I would not be surprised to see Hyde and Norton Blad coming down to a sprint on the uh, the pavement. I, I have to lean towards Katie Compton. I mean, the only reason why is because she's the she is the Brontosaurus. She's the Tyrannosaurus 
wrecks of this women's professional field. And to have the confidence that she has, that know that she can has so many arrows in her quiver, she can win. She won last year. Same thing with Stephen Hyde. Stephen actually had a mechanic last year yeah, and right. still won the race. So I, I, I think until somebody really pushes them, what it's going to take to win the national championship this year between the men and the women, it's going to have to take Katie Compton right away. Stephen Hyde, mechanical, caught back on, was gone. I think it's going to take somebody to put full-on pressure for them for the entire race for them to force a bobble, not a mechanical, yeah. but a technical error, a mental error, for them to be dethroned. And I just, with the way this course sets up, I find it very difficult for anybody to win. We should talk about Ellen Noble, too, if we're talking about the women, because I think she is a clear podium contender here. Talking about Katie Keogh and Ellen Noble versus Katie Compton, I think Keogh and Noble have to not work together. No, but they have to work together. I'm just going to say not work against each other. Right. They definitely have to gang up on Katie Because I think Katie if I recall Compton. last year, that's kind of what they did at the very beginning of the race last they year. They tried. Yeah. Uh, L. Anderson was there as Elle, well, who right. is not going to be racing here. She decided not to make the, uh, the trip back to the United States. She's going to stay in Europe. The jet lag, the cost of travel, just too much for her. Uh, and so she decided to stay over there, not contend national. She's going to focus on the last few World Cups and World then Cups. the World Championship. So uh, interesting choice there. But uh, Well, let me ask you real quick before you move on. Is it more important, do you think, for the United States to have somebody top 10 in the World Cup or to win a national championship? I mean, uh, looking at the bigger picture, uh, you got to think that the World Cups are more important for someone like Elle Anderson. I think. But has look, she won a national championship? Well, uh, she may be looking at Katie Compton and saying, what's the point of flying back to the United States for second place or third place? You know, if you don't believe you can win, maybe it's not worth making the trip back for a top five, you know, top five performance or whatever. I think if she really believed that she had a shot at winning the Stars and Stripes, she would be much more inclined to come over. So I don't really have a problem with that decision. You know, it, a, a national championship is not really what, Al Anderson is about right now. She's trying to make, you know, mount a European campaign. She's doing a really good job of it. And she's finally hitting that stride where you get comfortable in Europe. I talk about this all the time with riders that go over about how tough Americans have it when you go to Europe. We oh, Story just, after yeah, story yeah. after story of riders who go over, can't make the adjustment, they're unhappy, and that you know reflects in your performance, right? A happy bike racer is a fast bike racer. And when you're in a strange country and no one's really helping you out and you're sort of on your own and you feel isolated and alone, it's tough to go fast. So the fact that that Elle has been able to mount the the season that she did this year, I don't blame her. You know, if it if it's not broken, don't fix it. And I think that's kind of where Anderson is coming from. So one less rider to worry about, but or uh, you know to watch. I don't want to say worry about, but um, I still think Compton, Keogh, Noble, your three for the pro women and the men. Like Stephen Hyde, Tobin Ortenblad, once you get down past that, pff, Jeremy Powers, I guess, is the big wild card. You know, he's had a rough season. It's Do you not think the, he can get top five? I think he thinks he can get top five, which is a Because last year was a it. bad year for him. Yeah. And, and this, just, you know, this year hasn't been great either. He's been having, I think it's heart troubles mm -hmm. that he's dealing with and just hasn't had the results that, you know, that he's we've come to expect from Jeremy. I think a lot of people thought that he was the next – you know, he was going to start riding into these top 10 World Cups. And it just, you know, he got there a couple times. Yeah, he and then did. he yep. sort of, last year and into this year, it's just, you know, a little bit of that bad luck. You have injuries and illness, and you know, your season just doesn't come together. So Powers, to me, is the biggest wild card for Sunday. He's my biggest question mark as to 
you know, where he ends up. Does he go top five? Uh, we'll see. But the matchup between Hyde and Nortonblad is probably the closest matchup that we'll see all weekend. But the most exciting for me is the prospect of uh, Katie Compton losing the, the national championship. And that would be a titanic. I mean, it would be a, a complete shift in USA Cycling. I think, honestly, I think USA Cycling would like to see a race, especially in the women's race. I mean, Katie Compton has been dominant. Yeah. I mean, so far dominant that it's just kind of like, uh, okay. I've, I've often argued this, that dominant athletes are, you know, they're, they're not good for any sport. Well, uh, New England Patriots uh, yeah, or, I mean, you know, the 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 Lakers or whoever, you right. know, it's just kind of like. When, eh. when you have the same person or same team or same entity winning over and over and over, eventually it gets, it gets boring. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to say that Katie Compton makes the racing here in the United States boring, but. No, she does. It, it would certainly be. Because it's, it's a good thing for her, but it's a bad yeah. thing for the cycling because she's so dominant. Well, that that's the problem. The, the the gap that we've seen in the past years has been the real issue. It's okay if she keeps winning, but only if there's a battle that goes up to that. There's a win. push. To be honest, she's just been riding away the last, you know, what, like three, four years. And that's tough for USA Cycling, too, because they're trying to cultivate this new renaissance, having right. the U23s come up in battle. You know, Hannah Arnsman, of course, from my state of North Carolina, trying to make it in the top five, trying yeah. to push her. But I'll be completely honest. I don't think Hannah probably will be in the same zip code as Katie tomorrow. And I don't know if that's exact. I think USA Cycling, in a perfect situation, would love to have three to four people, maybe even three to four to five racers within 15 seconds. Yeah, who doesn't want that? I mean, right. at every cross race, we want that. It's When's the, the last time we've had it, though? Right. I mean, but it's. I guess it's sort of a, a an inherent problem in cross, too, because once you get that traffic jam, once you get that first break, it's really hard for riders to move up and to pass. We see it with, like, Mathieu van der Poel, you know, racing over in Europe. It's like these races are starting to get kind of boring when you have the same rider. Course previews. Yeah, that's not just winning, <laughs> but dominating. That's the real problem. I don't have a problem with the same rider winning over and over, but I do have a problem with domination over and over because as a cycling fan it's just boring to watch but i don't think there's going to be any dominant performances on sunday i think both the women and the men will be close races i'm going to say they're both going to be dominant you think you yep. think compton rides away and hyde rides away i don't think hyde rides away but i think his savvy nature will find him with a 10 or 15 second gap at the end wow all right. That's my pick. Yeah. So, you know what? We're going to go out on a limb. Brad Soner, who are your picks for the 2018 Cyclocross National Championships here at the Silver Legacy in Reno, Nevada? You should be an announcer. That was I excellent. You know, this this is a tough one for me. No, I'm, it's not. I'm going to I'm going to go Katie Compton and Stephen Hyde. I mean, it I know it Why it, is that tough? Well, just because I think Cuz you want to do pick somebody because else. Because I want someone else to well, win. Well, then pick somebody else. All right, then I'll take Katie Keo and uh and Tobin Ortonblad. Okay, you're a fool. I'm taking Compton and Hyde. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for our podcast, our preview for the 2018 Cyclocross National Championships. Chad Andrews Brad. Hey. Don't got a great view here. Don't forget to watch the live stream live on Sunday. Watch the live stream. Brad's going to be with uh, Meredith and for the women's race and be with Tim Johnson, men's race, I'll be running around with my head cut off at the start finish line. I might even bum rush the dinosaur area. We should, we'll get you on a dinosaur, put it on the live stream. You I've been on the back of a motorcycle at 60 miles an hour interviewing people, so I probably could get on, I don't know. But have you been on the back of a 15 foot brontosaurus? 
tune in Sunday to find out. We will find out. That's going to do it. Chad Andrews, Brad Soner for the Chad and Brad Cycling Podcast. See you next time. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us on our Total Cyclist Summit and podcasts. Head on over to TotalCyclist.com. Check out more great information on coaching, training, summits, and podcasts. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.